I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And we'd like to welcome you to Behind the Gorilla, a podcast where we delve into the wild, wacky, and crazy side of professional wrestling. Oh, man. Here we go again. Another uh, Behind the Gorilla episode. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. Even though you just heard that in the intro, but still like to clarify that, you know, we have to get our names out there somehow. Yeah, got to increase the brand. And you can just tell by the tone of Mark's voice that he's really excited about whatever happened at TLC last night. Spoiler alert, we don't know. Nope, because uh, this is a few hours on, before. Yeah, we're recording this on Sunday, as we usually do, and we have no idea what's going to happen, which is fine, because this isn't a current events podcast. And you we don't care anyway. I'm pretty sure, I mean, this could low-key be a great show. Maybe. But there's nothing, I don't, yeah, there's like nothing in here that we're going to look back on and continue to be like, oh, that was amazing. Like, yeah. on paper, you know, like Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins are in a ladder match. That should be yeah. really good. Hopefully it was. Uh, <laughs> Asuka yeah. and Charlotte and Becky Lynch. <laughs> all these are people in a are like, match. all these people are yelling, yeah. like, that match was yep. good, or this match sucked. <laughs> this match sucked. <laughs> you got Baron Corbin, who got. <laughs> I heard somebody fantasy book does. So if it happened, then we'll say we predicted it. <laughs> um, they were like, yeah, Finn Balor is going to wrestle Drew McIntyre early in the night. And then Baron Corbin is going to, you know, he's, he's fighting Braun Strowman or whoever ended up showing up because Braun Strowman's hurt. And they're like, Finn Balor's going to paint up and come out as the demon and wrestle Baron Corbin as the demon again. And, you know, like, <laughs> that would actually be really funny. When you're, when you're fantasy booking Baron Corbin matches, I don't think you have a great pay-per-view on your hands. But I don't know. I could be wrong. I could have been wrong. I guess we'll see. But well, yeah. Anyway, so um, this is going to be our last episode at least for a week or so because Christmas is coming, and so we're going to be taking a break, I think, for a couple of weeks. Although, we definitely are going to record an episode of us watching Ready to Rumble, and so depending on when that is, uh, whenever we get to that, that might be up in two weeks. I might put that up, so... We might just take one week off, but there definitely won't be an episode next Monday. So just heads up for that. So, um, Harris, this has to be a good one. Oh, boy. Because okay. we got we well, gotta keep we got to keep the people, you know, listening and coming back, right. the, the six that's people right. who listen. Well, this is, the, um, this is the most notes that I've ever taken. So if we have to, we can just split <laughs> it up and I can leave you on a cliffhanger. Uh, oh, man. This, this historic moment, folks. Harris taking notes is a big deal. And, and, and this time, he hasn't lost them yet. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, that would be, no, I made sure I saved them and my laptop's plugged in. So, no, we're not, uh, we're not going anywhere. We're set this time. See, so, at least we're learning with this po- podcast process. Yeah, you know, you we make steps. the mistakes well, and we, we correct our mistakes. Well, and I think, I think it'll be clear once I start why I needed this many notes. But first of all, just to, just to back up, I knew what I was going to do for a few days now. Oh, that's, that's sort new. Of, Indirectly, yeah, I know, right? I'm proud of myself. I actually did this like in a pretty timely fashion this week. I didn't do it all this morning. But, I'm um, so I don't know if you got a chance to see Raw at all this week, and whatever nope. happens on TLC won't affect it. So they opened the show, nope. and Seth Rollins drops his own little baby pipe bomb. And the whole point is he comes out there and he's like, you know what? 
this show sucks, the ratings are in the toilet, Baron Corbin, it's your fault, like, Brock Lesnar sucks, you should strip him of the title, I'm a workhorse for this company and you're not treating me with any respect, the Revival is a great tag team and you're not treating them with any respect, it's basically everything that the internet wrestling dweebs like us have been complaining about for like the last <laughs> two months, right? Right. And they just throw it all out there. And it wasn't quite like a kayfabe busting, like pipe bomb, like CM Punk's, because it was all, sure. it, it all worked in character, right? Right. It's Seth Rollins, the character, calling out Baron Corbin, the character. But it was still cool because it was like, hey, you know, at least they're admitting the show sucks. And whether or not they do anything to fix that, we'll see. They might not. But I was really excited about it. And then I got on a cage side seats, which is what I use for, you know, a lot of like my recaps and I read their raw reviews and stuff. And they were like, yeah, this is all well and good, but guess what? This is what they were saying on TV every week in WCW in 1999. <laughs> like, this isn't necessarily <laughs> any sign of quality or improvement. If they don't take the steps to fix what's clearly not working about this show. And that's going to be the, <laughs> the theme today of taking steps to fix what's clearly wrong with the show because we're going to talk about the history of a WCW paper. Yay. So it's a four-year show. That's, that's as long as it lasted. It's one of those special-themed ones. And um, it was one of those shows that, you know, Eric Bischoff will tell you one thing about it, and pretty much everyone else that was involved in the company at the time w will tell you another. We're talking <laughs> about the history of WCW Road Wilds. Now, Mark... Road Wild, that's a big deal. I know you've been listening to the Eric Bischoff podcast. Have you listened to his episode about this? Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, good. It's so a great podcast, to, uh, too, for anyone who wants just straight-up entertainment and any yeah, sort of insight into WCW in the 90s. It's on my list now, and I'll it's be honest great. with you. It's called 83 Weeks, so we'll give a little plug for Eric Bischoff Yeah, here. like they need on a the plug from us. That's the five people who listen to this show. Don't already listen to one of the more <laughs> popular wrestling podcasts out there. Right. But I, I figured this out just today. It's called 83 Weeks. Yep. And I thought it would be like, oh, so it's going to be like a week-by-week -week recap, and it's really not. It's right. It's just top I, of I think it was that was like the original idea, and then they were just mm -hmm. kind of scrapped, and we're just like, nah, this is better yeah. to just pick whatever. Right. So I, I have a couple quotes from that episode where he talked about the, the first episode of this show. But I haven't listened to the whole two-hour thing, so if you want to chip in with any additional information, yeah, feel it's free. Been a, it's but, been a little while. That was from a few months okay. ago, but I'll see All what right. I can remember. Yeah, so this was this was an entirely new concept to me for a long time. I hadn't done that much research into it. But basically, Road Wild is Eric Bischoff's very misguided attempt to run a live wrestling pay-per-view from the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Which is about lovely, five hours from me. Oh, man, you dude, you, I literally looked that up, and I was going to drop that in here at some point, but <laughs> I guess you know. You're a good wrestling fan. You checked, I'm sure. Oh, I already God, knew. I mean, third. yeah, I already knew where. I already Dean knew that. Road Wild. So I'll tell you, I wish there was still Road Wild, and then I could have a show to go to. Researching this, <laughs> I know more about South Dakota geography there we go. than I ever did before. So now I know approximately where you are in the yep. country in lovely Aberdeen, which is nice. Yep, northeast. But for those of you who aren't lucky enough to live in South Dakota, uh, Sturgis is a town of uh, maybe 8,000 people. Maybe. Uh, except for one week out of the year when it hosts 
the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. It has a motorcycle uh, museum there in town. And once a week, about 350,000 people all ride their Harley Davidsons into town and just kind of hang out. And they drive them up and down the street, and there's just bikes everywhere. And it's basically it, the the vibe I got. Believe it or not, I'm not a big motorcycle guy. I don't know if you can tell that just by <laughs> listening to this show. But the vibe I got is it's a lot like Woodstock, but for bikers. Or it's like just, Coachella or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's in the middle of nowhere, and you just kind of show up, and it's all about the bikes, man. And Sturgis, South Dakota, it's not really a booming metropolis. That's kind of what makes this fun. If you're a big motorcycle guy, you like the fact that you're in the middle of nowhere, that it's all kind of ramshackle, that it's, you know, it's really run down, and there isn't a lot of, like, establishment there. The man doesn't really have a strong presence in Becky South Lynch Dakota, doesn't either. Right? Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but she could if she wanted to. She could. That's she definitely fair. could. Sidebar, I think our new marketing strategy is just going to be to harass Becky Lynch and see if she'll call us out on Twitter like she calls out everyone else. I think that's a really good way to get our <laughs> visibility up, you know? That would be entertaining. <laughs> so how good of an idea this show was depends on who you ask. Um, there's one writer, a guy named Art O'Donnell, writing for WrestleCraft, that said uh, it's an annual pay-per-view at a biker rally with zero live gate just because Eric Bischoff loves motorcycles. That's kind of the conventional wisdom in the wrestling community because Eh, that's right. If those of you at home don't understand this, this wasn't – there's not a stadium in Sturgis, South Dakota. It's just a little cow town. The pay-per-view happened on a WCW stage in a parking lot that everyone could just kind of show up to. There weren't any tickets sold for people to be there. We'll get into a little bit of this more as we go on in the show, but the the front row, where the front row, like the most expensive seats typically are, it was just guys sitting on their bikes because it was in a parking lot somewhere. I'm not making that up at all. They didn't make ticket revenue off of this show. Nope. This is a pay-per-view that was literally free, and they were just kind of, you know, if you were willing to drive to Sturgis, South Dakota. So most people love to kick Eric Bischoff for this because it does make no business sense, but for him, it was a really cool chance at cross-promotion, and it just so happened he loves his motorcycles. And the way he, he explained it on his podcast, and I don't have an exact quote here, but he said, you know, he felt like it would be a bonding experience. And there were a couple other wrestlers on the roster, like Sting and Paul Orndorff, uh, Big Boss Man, Medusa, the Steiner brothers. There were a couple other people that also loved to ride motorcycles. And Eric Bischoff felt like, you know, we're kind of we're the outsiders, so to speak, in the Turner Broadcasting Company, and we don't get a lot of bonding done outside of the office, you know, aside from like maybe occasionally grabbing drinks after the show. This would be a really cool way for us to bond, you know? Like, if we make this pilgrimage to Sturgis and go on this whole, you know, drive eight hours from Minneapolis on our bikes and get out there and just really soak in the culture, man. And, hey, what a great thing to do. The NWO is huge right now. Let's incorporate that, and we're going to have cross-promotion. So, you know, we'll get the bikers really love wrestling, and we'll get some of that going on, and it'll be a really cool experience. 
And that's all well and good if you're Eric Bischoff and you love your motorcycles and you, you're all about soaking in that culture for a week or you're staying or, you know, some of the other guys on the roster who, who are really into this whole scene. Um, if you're not, then you're kind of just forced to drive eight hours for a show in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this is one thing he addresses in particular on his show. There were rumors flying around after the first year that Bobby the Brain Heenan was just absolutely plastered on commentary. And they asked Eric Bischoff about this in the, um, in the show. He brings it up, and he basically says, well, well, if he was, I didn't notice. But then he goes on to list several reasons why he, he wouldn't have been surprised <laughs> to learn that Bobby the Brain Heenan got absolutely yep. drunk. Let's just say this was not Bobby the Brain Heenan's scene. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's what he talks about. He says, um, he says, well, Bobby got there and he was looking for a four-star hotel with a really cool bar that serves martinis. And you're not going to find that in search. <laughs> no. Bobby the Brain Heenan was used to like a nice Hyatt with a seafood bar. And they didn't have that. This is, this is a direct quote from Eric Bischoff. To be stuck at Sturgis, where it's hot, noisy, you're hearing Harley Davidson's from 5.30 a.m. till 2 a.m. You can't sleep, you can't relax, you can't find a place to sit down that's quiet and clean. It's just a little gritty. This is from the guy who wanted to do this show. <laughs> that's how he describes the atmosphere that he's bringing his wrestlers into. Yep. There's a great interview with Kevin Nash where he's talking about this experience. And this, aside from the fact that Bobby the Brain Heenan didn't get his luxury hotel <laughs> or his bar that serves martinis, which I didn't think was like a high bar to clear for a bar. I guess it is. Out there, yeah. I, I guess it is, man. I guess it is. You're going to have to go on, on scene for it at some point and drive out there and see if you can get a martini anywhere, see how it's <laughs> progressed. But Yeah, road trip. This isn't... Aside from where you stay, Kevin Nash talks about the actual accommodations, like for the show itself, which, again, this isn't in a stadium. This is in a parking lot. There's no seats. There's no ticket sales. There is it's, nothing It's basically, here. if any of you guys have ever been, if, if wherever you guys live, there's like a county fair or a state fair yeah. or something like that, it's basically, and, and a lot of those places will do wrestling stuff. Imagine that, but on a way larger scale and with, like, right. actually a big company. And that's a great way of putting it because watching it now, especially, like, the first three quarters of the shows are in daylight. It looks yeah. like a county fair. And the crowds are pretty comparable, except this isn't, you know, like, Golden Corner Wrestling or some, like, crappy local <laughs> regional show. This is World Championship Wrestling. Like, this is Hulk Hogan. Yep. This is Sting, you know? And it's, they're just wrestling in front of a handful of sort of interested biker fans but hang on so kevin nash is talking about the accommodations and there aren't any like he, the, the guy interviewing him asked him to talk about his experience and he says you know there's there's like 11 guys that drive bikes and the boss is one of them and all they're concerned about is making this pilgrimage on their bikes to sturgis you know they're not giving any thought to what's actually happening in the ring the guy interviewing him <laughs> says what i think we all think at this point but can't they do that and not bring the wrestling show? With them? <laughs> and Kevin Nash, he, he makes a 
a very weird comparison to a to a sexual fetish. He's basically like, well, if you get aroused only wearing latex and you're the one in control in bed, like at the very least you're going to have a latex sheet, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. That was exactly what I was just thinking. I, I, <laughs> I don't understand what Naturally. you meant by that other than to say if you're the one in charge of a wrestling show, I guess you're going to want to integrate the wrestling show however you can. Like I said, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But <laughs> he says, look, all I know is Scott and I got our itinerary, and we're staying in Custer, Wyoming, <laughs> in a Best Western somewhere, and the door to our room is a sliding glass door. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't, again, this isn't like some little, yeah, this uh, isn't some little rinky-dink wrestling promotion. This is WCW. This is Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, like the biggest free agents in the wrestling world getting paid millions of dollars by Ted Turner to be on this show and they're staying in Wyoming and driving in 55 miles for a pay-per-view. Kevin Nash says there's no locker rooms. They brought in storage units like you'd put on a boat. He says, I'm not talking about air conditioned trailers. I'm talking about metal storage containers that you put on a boat with plastic chairs in them, uh, porta-potties, shower 55 miles away back at your hotel. <laughs> Sounds like w- living the dream w- right there. Yeah. The guy, the guy interviewing him is like, oh, yeah, just like the NFL. Kevin Nash is like, yeah, you know, my wife was responsible for bringing the orange ones. It's, like, it's, just, it's insane. There's nothing there. And, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe they're luckier than Bobby the Brain Heenan because they didn't have to hear the Harleys rev all night. I assume that was the compromise. We'll just maybe. stay in the next town over 55 miles I'm away. I'm surprised, but... like, half of them didn't just rent, like, a tour bus and just have that there. You would think, right? But I guess it was just about keeping costs to a minimum. And here's the other no, thing. No, I'm talking about, like, them doing it themselves. <laughs> no, 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 I know. Well, that's, you know, nobody it sounds like was willing to put in, if you weren't one of the 11 guys that were super into biking, right. wanted to be there, nobody wanted to be there for a second longer than they had to. True. And the guy, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit. I have another great quote from him, but the impression you have is that everyone wanted to get in there, do their match, and just get out just leave and go back to their hotel and forget it ever happened, and it wasn't worth <laughs> commissioning a bus or anything else So, like a.k.a. That. So, Crown Jewel. <laughs> right, pretty much. <laughs> Except with Crown Jewel, there's money everywhere. Right, That's right. kind of the problem. That's why <laughs> that ended up happening in the first place. Here, there's nothing. Right. You're not, you know, you really want to get out as soon as possible. But let's, let, let's stop for a second because we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, and let's give Eric Bischoff the benefit of the doubt for a second. It's 1996. Also, oh, another, yeah. diff, another thing is it was called Hogwild to start yeah. off. It was. So, and, then, and then they got sued, so they had to drop it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I was going to get to that. That's a pretty great little omen for the show. But, like, so we're coming in. It's 1996. We're coming into Hogwild, the last pay We're also that coming we in had. We're also coming in to, you know, NWO, WCW, boom. Yes. It's like yes, the NWO exactly. has just started. 
I think this was the first pay-per-view after Bash at the Beach. It was, dude. You know your stuff. That was literally my next point. And so this is They're a big deal right, right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is this is peak WCW. It's about to be. Hulk Hogan has just turned heel. The NWO has just formed a month ago. And this is a pretty, it turns out, a pretty solid show. So they're riding high. They're coming. And the card's not terrible. Is this the so match? That, is, this the, is this the one where it starts off with Rey Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon? Yes. Yes, Which, it is. And that match is amazing. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, WCW's reputation, especially in the mid to late 90s, is that they have a really strong undercard, and the main event is Hulk Hogan and his buddies. And it's a little silly, right? That's kind of the the stereotype, I guess. That's the WWE this, narrative that's been painted. Right. Well, exactly, exactly. So, but this card, just looking through it, I, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't watch four three hour pay per views to prep for the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. What I a love surprise. You. That's like two hours of '90s WCW for every listener, and I just don't think it's that worth it. Um, <laughs> but just look, you know, I did through these matches and they're really solid you've got Rey Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon you've got Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko uh Harlem Heat is fighting the Steiner brothers for the tag titles or no that's not for the tag titles I'm sorry the Outsiders are fighting Sting and Lex Luger that's another great match yep. you got Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero like this is a solid card and it's main evented of course by Hollywood Hogan versus the Giants for the WCW Championship. And I'm going to need you to remember that point because we're going to come back to it later. So it's it's about what you'd imagine a Hulk Hogan versus Big Show match would be in 1996. But even so, the show got really good reviews. Um, I'm going to quote 411 Mania for all of these shows, by the way, because they're, they have good little succinct sound bites, and they're what's cited on the Wikipedia page. So the writer at 411 Mania for this show says, you know, most pay-per-views after the NWO featured a good undercard and a kind of poor main event scene. But here you have some really, really good matches. And there was some crap like the title match, but this was still actually an enjoyable show, and I did not expect that. They gave it a 7 out of 10, which, for a pay-per-view located in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> in a parking lot, with no ticket sales, is pretty good. Like, it's honestly kind of a miracle that under these circumstances with the crappy accommodations that everyone had, and Bobby the Brain probably kind of drunk on commentary, they pulled it off. Yeah. So, this is WCW, you know, riding high. Yep. They did it. So, of course, this is crazy, though, right? Like, we couldn't possibly do this again and come back here next year and not sell any tickets again and try to put on a good show again, Right. Oh no 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 no! Of course not. No, the only do you real... and hold on. Let me let me stop you yeah, for a second. Go so ahead. go ahead. You know, obviously a big point is the no ticket sales thing. Uh huh. And Eric Bischoff talks about that on the podcast. Do you have any quotes from that? Because I don't remember exactly no, what he said I about it. I couldn't find anything about the rationale. Okay, because he does he does explain it, and I don't remember exactly what it was. But it had something to do, it was more, because obviously one thing that he is constantly, what, what people will say is about him only caring about Monday Nitro and, and the pay-per-views not as mm -hmm. much. And, and his whole thing was, he's running, like, WCW was not a wrestling company. It was owned by a 
media company, like a TV company. Right. Like it Turner was a Broad. TV show like it was about, uh, Yeah, it was about a TV show for TNT more than it was yeah. a wrestling show. The pay-per-views no, and I think were that's a fair extra. Point. So his thing was about yeah. making it a television product. And, and that's yeah. one thing that I feel like people just don't get a lot of times. No, and so fair. that and that mean, was that was a reason for a lot of the decisions that were being made. But and I and something like that had something to do with why they were able to do it that that way. But no, I don't remember fair. I don't remember all of his rationale with it. I know he explained it, but I forgot what it was yeah. now. No, well that's that's fine. I mean, just reading the write up on this and like that that's you know when you when you look at articles and comments, that's what people always say. Oh, there's no money made at the gate. And I thought some of it might just be my own modern bias because it's obviously like over 20 years later and thinking, well, okay, but do live ticket sales really mean that much? No, like, isn't most they of the don't. money in TV and like maybe pay-per-view the, buys? And I think the biggest revenue for WCW was pay-per-view buys because that yeah, was all extra think. money. And that's I'm pretty sure the pay-per-view buys more than paid for the cost of running their show there. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. And I get, like, the other thing, too, is that you want to – it's the co-branding. That's part of it. Like, you want to It's getting as many eyes on the product exactly, as possible. Exactly. Get your name more out there. I, I keep bringing that up mostly because it's – you need to watch these shows just for the mental image of these guys wrestling in a parking lot, and you can see trucks driving back and forth <laughs> in the background. I love the, the fact of- that it's all motorcycles, and they just constantly re- are, like, revving their motorcycles yeah. at random times oh, throughout incredible. the show. <laughs> and they talk – Kevin Nash talked about that in the interview because the front – like, the seats, there aren't – there are, like, literally metal bleachers like you'd see at a high school football game, and then there's just guys sitting on their Harleys, like, at ringside, and just – like, whenever they feel like it. <laughs> Like every it's entrance, amazing. whenever whenever people try to cut promos before matches, like it's crazy. And when I keep emphasizing like the no live tickets, that's kind of more the thing I'm talking about. This environment is a lot more of a county <laughs> fair. Just roll up and watch what you want to watch. Yeah, pretty and much. There's other stuff going on, kind of vibe, right? Like it, it's not so much that they weren't making money as it's just a weird place for a wrestling show. Because people, cause people the, forget, like, for half of Nitro's at the beginning, they weren't getting ticket sales because they were doing them at, like, MGM Studios, where it was just, like, part of Disney World. Yeah. I mean, I guess he had too. a rationale for it. That that kind of makes sense, but... Regardless, anyway, they're as, wrestling in a parking lot. <laughs> right. So as, we, as the first year comes to an end, and it looks like we sort of accidentally pulled off a really solid show of wrestling in a parking lot. And um, surely, though, like you, you'd listen to your talent, who was for the most part pretty miserable, and you wouldn't go back again, right? But there's a great write-up on Cage Side Seats that I uh, that that kind of pointed me towards this again from the uh, historically significant disasters of wrestling column that I've talked about a few times. <laughs> and this guy, the writer, points out nobody really questioned the ludicrousness of this show. Because when WCW was running hot, nobody really questioned anything. Yeah, that's true. The biggest problem that they had was what you already alluded to. Harley Davidson showed up and said, hey, hog wild, that's our statement. We're going to sue the pants off of you. (laughs) And they said, oh, right, right, right. Okay, well, of course, of course we won't have hog wild next year. Right. We'll have road wild. And we'll go back and it'll be great. So they Genius. did. They did the same thing. Next year, they just changed the name, and we roll back up into Sturgis with 300,000 people here to see a free wrestling show. 
And, again, if you just look at the card, it looks pretty decent, and it looks kind of like your typical WCW. You've got Harlem Heat versus the tag team of Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton going by the acronym, uh, or the, the name Vicious and Delicious, which <laughs> I don't know if they ever accomplished anything, but that is a heck of a name right it's there. It's a great name. So Scott I, Norton I want... is underrated big man. Okay, okay. I Buff Bagwell is Buff Bagwell. Buff Bagwell is. Yeah. He's like the third tier patron saint of this podcast, which pretty much <laughs> sums up Buff Bagwell. Kind of. That's a very little bit. Buff Bagwell accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, you got, look, look, like Chris Jericho is fighting for the cruiserweight title. That's pretty good. Uh, Mr. Perfect is fighting DDP. Uh, the Giant is fighting Macho Man. And then you've got the Outsiders versus the Steiner Brothers for the tag title. And then, of course, in the main event, um, tell me if this sounds familiar. Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger for the WCW Championship. Sure. That's right. It's, it's the same main event as last year. It's Hulk Hogan chasing the title. I thought you said the last... Uh, it no, wasn't the, the same guy. It's the same Hulk Hogan, though. Well, He's, yeah, of course. One year he fights the Giant. One year he fights Lex Luger. But it's, it's really not any more dynamic of a match. They're really not trying any harder. And, and it shows. And again, I have the review from 411 Mania for this show. And, Mark, tell me if you haven't felt this way the last few months. And I quote, It's hard not to feel like the entire show is an afterthought and a waste of time to everyone involved. <laughs> uh, I've definitely felt that over the past <laughs> four months. Um, that is definitely a sentiment that I understand. That is for sure. Not, I, I'm going to continue the quote. Not one match other than Rey Mysterio versus Conan, manages to be even competently executed. It's just every name on the roster going through the motion. Because they all didn't want to be there. Exactly, and I'm so glad you brought that up. This is the other quote that I have from Kevin Nash, and it's fantastic. He's, this is the same interview from before. and right. The guy asked him, he's like, so did, like, did any of the wrestlers have any trouble? And he asked specifically about Harlem Heat in the middle of this biker town. He's like, did they give, like, the black wrestlers or, like, the women or anything like that any, any more trouble? Like, did the wrestlers feel uncomfortable working in these conditions? And Kevin Nash doesn't really comment on that from, like, a racial angle or right. anything like that. He's like, everyone had trouble. <laughs> he says, the thing is, he says, watch the work rate at those pay-per-views. He says, at that point, I can't quote him exactly because it gets really colorful, but he says at that point it becomes, okay, we're going to do what you want to do, but we're sure not going to do it at more than like a 2 out of 10. <laughs> That's a quote from one of the wrestlers. Like yeah. You can tell the first year they kind of just went out there and made do because they're professionals. Right. And by the time they have to go back again, they're all just like, nope, we're going to get this done. We're going to drive back to Custer, Wyoming and <laughs> get to television on Monday. Like, I don't. No, we're not. We're not going to go out here and kill ourselves for these stupid bikers who don't care about this show because they just showed up, right? And are revving their engines and, and, the whole time during the match. Like, because there's a way you can look at it where it's like, you know, what's the biggest thing with wrestling? And it's going out there and performing in an, you know right. every night, no matter who's there. But at the same time, there's a difference when you know it might be a small house of you know a hundred people, but they all paid to be there, right? And, right. and, you know, 20,000 people that 
really have no interest and are just there because it's there. Right. And I'm there sure, is a especially as it, I'm sure, especially as it went on, like, I'm sure there's some kid who lived in Sturgis, like, just statistically speaking, there had right. to be one or two who loved wrestling. And oh, thought this I'm was, sure. Like, the coolest thing ever and showed up. Like, you see people there in their wrestling gear and stuff. Sure. This isn't all people who have no idea what wrestling is, but the event is a very different, maybe not demographic, but, like, you're there because you love motorcycles. And then, oh, hey, here's a free wrestling show over here. It's not the same thing as saying, come and pay us money to watch WCW. Like, it's, right. a, it's a pretty tepid crowd in a garbage environment, and all of the workers don't want to be there. It, it, it's so unprofessional backstage. Like, the conditions I just described, they're literally changing in shipping containers. Like, Nobody's motivated to go out there and do anything. The fans, for the most part, don't really care. And like we touched on a little bit earlier, like it doesn't even really matter how well these things go. It's like, like you know, because nitro is what matters. So, like, yeah. as a locker room, how do you even care about putting on a good show at some point? I don't know. So, anyway, you can already kind of see where we're going here. The quality of the matches has gone downhill just drastically, and surely this is the sign that we should just pull the plug on this, right? That we should try to go find a better arena, yeah. get these people better accommodations, and go like put on a wrestling show this time of year that actually works, right? Nat- naturally. Luckily for us, absolutely that is not what happened. <laughs> absolutely not. We're coming back next year, and okay, I'm going to give you another Batman example. Ooh, we good. have to bring that up every show because of you know cross-promotion. Yeah, um, uh, the Uncaped Crusaders Review podcast, go check it out. I got you, buddy. 1998 Road Wild is when WCW smashes a vase on the fireplace with a poker and says, you want to get nuts? Come on. <laughs> let's get nuts. 1998. Best, best part of the movie. It is. Here's what the card looks like in 1998. Uh, Chris Jericho in a Cruiserweight title match with Dean Malenko as the special guest referee. Okay? That's the only thing on the undercard that I even bothered to write down because it's the only thing that I recognized as, oh, that might be good. Wait, but who's he wrestling? I don't know. Didn't write it down. <laughs> didn't recognize him. What do you mean you didn't no. recognize him? I didn't recognize the name off the top of my head, so I thought, eh, you know, it's Jericho in the Cruiserweight title match. Dean Malenko is the special guest referee. It doesn't matter. I was focusing on something else, Mark, and that is the co-main event of the evening, the NWO Invitational Battle Royal. Now, I believe Woo. the reason I didn't recognize anybody on this card is because they put them all in this match. This okay. is a match where... Now, NWO at this point, you know, we're two years removed from Bash at the Beach. So, of course, NWO has reached that point where they ballooned as a faction and then they eventually split up as a faction. And instead of, like, going away or having some dramatic closure to the angle... They just kind of kept dragging it out. And, you know, if you know anything about wrestling, you know this is kind of the history of WCW. But right now we're in the middle of the Civil War in NWO, right? So you have NWO black and white, and you have the Wolfpack. And what this match is, is is first the four members of NWO black and white come out. Scott Hall cuts a little promo. And then um, four members of the Wolfpack come out. Just uh, wait a minute. Hold on. Which um, which which uh, road wired road wild is this? This is ninety eight. This is ninety eight. All right. Well, you are wrong. 
Oh, are you looking at it now? Are you looking at the card? Oh, never mind. No, you were right. How did you you don't know who Juventud Guerrera is? I recognize the Guerrero. Oh, I didn't please. The first part, so I Good didn't. grief. Yeah, for all all you people who are listening to this, berate Harris on Twitter for not knowing who Juventud Guerrera is. He's fantastic. Great cruiserweight wrestler in uh, WCW. The I Juice. I most of the cruiserweights Juice. are good workers. I believe that. <laughs> didn't deserve to write it down, please. Yeah, I'm okay, sorry. we're going to go through the card here because you didn't bother to write it down, and now I was curious, and I'm sure everyone well, else I was is moving, too. I was, I was trying to move on to the two things that I was <laughs> super into that got weird, but okay, we can go through the undercard. But to be, but you're, you're not wrong. There is not um, a not lot of star thing, power right? on here. I mean, you have like Barbarian and Ming. You have Public right. Enemy. You have the Dancing Fools, which was right. not a good tag team. You have Saturn and Raven, yeah, and uh, Ray Mysterio. You have Ray Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis, though, which I'm sure is a fantastic match. I think I remember that match. That that's a great match. Steve, okay. Okay. Stevie Ray and Chavo Guerrero, um, Steve McMichael and Brian Adams. Yeah, this isn't great. It's it's not a it's not a great card. But the main event is the big thing of this show. Right, 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 right. Well, hang on. Don't 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 undercut me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm it. not. Okay, so first of all, let, let me just finish laying this out, because this, like, straight up, this co-main event is, like, on paper, one of my favorite things that I've ever seen <laughs> this particular wrestler do. So this is, like I said, we've got the, the premise of this match. Goldberg is coming in, riding high. He has yep. the title. He has his undefeated streak. It's at, like, 130 and 0 at this point, something like that. It's yeah. up in that range, and, you know, the numbers were fudged a little bit anyway, so... It doesn't really matter. Every one of those numbers was accurate, Harris. He beat all those people. I'm sorry, buddy. You're right. You're right. You're right. Well, we'll get to that in a second, too. Okay. So he's coming in. He's it, right? This is as hot as he will ever be. And this is a battle royal that features four members of NWO Black and White, four members of the Wolf Pack, and Goldberg in his first ever battle royal, and it's for the title. So the four members of Black and White come out. The four members of Wolf Pack come out. And this is why... To a, to a super casual, like, mid-'90s fan like me, not much of the rest of the cards stood out because Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Lex Luger, Sting, all of these guys are in this match on various, like, one side or the other, right? And finally you have Goldberg come out. And this was, I'll be honest with you, I, I watched the highlight reel on WWE's, like, clip show on their website first. And I thought, whoa, this is awesome. Because you see Goldberg, and he comes in, and he dumps this guy, and he dumps that guy, and then he flips two people over at once. And then at the very end, he's left in the middle of the ring with the giant, you know, who would later become Big Show. And he hits him with a spear. He gets him up for a jackhammer, and he pins him and wins the match. (laughs) And he goes the distance wipes out eight other, like, really prominent, like, main event caliber wrestlers and retains a title. And how awesome is that? Like, that's a really cool Goldberg moment. And it still kind of is. But when you go back and you watch the full match, it gets a good deal sillier. (laughs) And you can kind of tell that it's a road wild pay-per-view. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, The bit where, you know, you, you hear Kevin Nash talk about going at a 2 out of 10, the first thing that happens once Goldberg gets into the ring and and the bell rings, he's the champion, right? He is undefeated. 
His streak and his title are on the line. You have an eight-on-one advantage, so what do you do? You eliminate the champion. Obviously. Even Goldberg can't fight eight people at once, right? False. Um, That is not what happens, because the blood feud between the two camps in the NWO is so intense at this point that they immediately just lock on to the person opposite them wearing, you know, red or wearing black, and all eight of them just start fighting one another. And it's honestly incredible to watch Goldberg literally walk around the ring untouched. Like, he just kind of ducks from one fighter to the other, and they're all locked up, and they're all going to war on their own, like, corresponding NWO member. And he's just kind of standing there as the champ, and nobody is engaging with him. (laughs) And they're trying to spin it, you know, like, look at how smart he is. This is his first battle royal, and he's avoiding contact, and he's, he's waiting, and he's being patient. A minute into this match, Scott Hall gets, gets dumped over the top rope, and he's eliminated, right? So Kevin Nash immediately steps over the top rope, hops down to the ground, and keeps fighting Scott Hall. <laughs> he eliminates himself, and it takes about 30 seconds for commentary to realize that, or like realize the kayfabe implications of that. Right. And they immediately start trying to sell it as, Oh, look, this is how much he hates Scott Hall. He just eliminated himself to keep fighting him. As opposed, to, as opposed to, well, I really just wanted to leave. I don't, right. Well, that's <laughs> when he's talking about going at a 2 out of 10, that's the next thing he says. He's literally like, go back and watch one of those. I think it's a battle royal. I literally just step off the rope and eliminate myself. <laughs> and he's not exaggerating. Uh. Like It's not like anybody hits him or like he's close. He's just like, nope. You know, he's just like, well, I'm not winning this thing anyway. I want to get out of here and go home. So that's exactly what he does. And it's just, it's such a titanic, like, on paper, this is one of the best battle royals I've ever seen. Because it isn't like the, you know, kind of, like, they're usually like kind of a jobber show, right? Or like for a mid-card number one contendership. There's a lot of main event level talent. And it's all, pretty much all wasted. Like, the match lasts eight minutes. And like I said, they all avoid Goldberg for like the first three, and not in a way that like makes them look like they're trying to. They just don't think about him. Mm-hmm. Sting at one point, God bless him, loses his mind completely and locks in the Scorpion Deathlock in the middle of the ring in a battle royal. <laughs> which even if apparently pinfall submissions certainly count, because that's how Goldberg ends up winning the match. But right. Even if you're allowed to submit a guy to eliminate him from the battle royal, you have to know somebody else is going to touch you because there's seven other people in the ring. Yeah. Somebody else is going to break it up, and they do immediately. It's the weirdest spot I've ever seen. Yeah, but, you, but still, you, you're, he's trying to wear him down. I, I guess, but he only holds a minute for about three seconds. It, it's not much of a move, but <laughs> whatever works, man, I guess. Again, but again, it just kind of reads like Sting just saying, I, I don't know, I guess we'll just... We'll just move on to this one now, I, like, from spot to spot. It's just, it's a real sloppy battle royal. Yeah. And they put all of their talent in it. And, like, the, the end with Big Show is still great. Like, it is still a yeah. really cool Goldberg moment. But even then, like, when he makes his entrance, they're trying to have, like, the smoke and the fog machines coming out for him to walk through. Except it's in a parking lot in South Dakota. So it's all just blowing off screen. Like, it doesn't even <laughs> register on the stage because it's all blowing off towards Montana. You can't see 
any of it once he takes like <laughs> 10 steps down the ramp. Oh, that's awesome. And then, you know, in the end, it's a cool moment. Like, he wins, he keeps his title, and they're like, man, if you count all the people that he eliminated, his streak's probably up to like 136 or 137 right now. Like, that's great. That's kind of a fun little moment. But <laughs> you put all of your talent in a battle royal that lasts for eight minutes, and then it's time for the main event. And you already saw this. If you looked up the card or you know the show, See, I, you know I'd, it's I'd forgotten that this was the show that this happened at. Yeah, I didn't even know. See, that's the thing. There's a couple things on these shows that could be their own episodes, so I'm going to try to keep it high level. That is true. That is true. This definitely could be. Oh, I've got, I've got more coming. <laughs> it's still just 1998. So it is, of course, if you don't know the show, say it with me, it's Hulk Hogan in the main event. There's but nothing wrong with that, not, though. This time it's not for the title. No, no, no. He's, he's spreading the love a little bit. He's in a tag match with Eric Bischoff, and he's going up against DDP, who loves, loves his odd tag team partners, yep. I will say. And the one and the only, Jay Leno. Jay Leno is tagging with DDP in the main event, (laughs) and the only problem that I have with that is that he couldn't win the title with him. That is a shame. That is a shame. See, but they learned. They learned, you know, later. That's true. That's true. They were like, man, you know, spoiler alert, people didn't really buy this pay-per-view that much, but I bet if we just added some stakes to the main event, that would get people to tune in. So... So this, uh, this, this, honestly, the build to all this could have been its own show, and I have to overlook a lot of it. We might end up coming back to it later. But Jay Leno, Jay Leno was no Carl Malone. Let's just say that. <laughs> oh, listen, we're gonna uh, just wait till I read the review for this once again. <laughs> y- your battle royal for the title, featuring Goldberg, the hottest star in the company and in wrestling at the time, and pretty much your entire like upper card main event scene lasts eight minutes. Mark, I don't know if it's on the the entry you're looking at or not. How long do you think a tag match featuring Jay Leno lasts? <sighs> well, unfortunately, I, I it has the time on it. It lasted for 15 minutes. Yeah. It lasted twice as long as the title <laughs> battle. Also. Yeah. With Jay Leno and Eric Bischoff. Well, think about it this way. Goldberg is such a dominant force that he can just beat that many people that quickly. I knew it. I knew you were going to say and that. And also, like, that's be the, and that's also the think about it. Jay Leno and Eric Bischoff don't know what they're doing, so it's going to take longer for them to figure anything out, naturally. You would think Hulk Hogan could pin, Eric, or could pin Jay Leno relatively quickly. Yeah, but, but Hulk Hogan and DDP want to watch this enough. going on. Well, yeah, apparently. <laughs> what the, I mean, that's the thing. And at this point... And wouldn't you, too? Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, <laughs> if you know anything about WCW at this time, you know there's going to be about seven run-ins and interferences in this match. Of course. And there are. Of course. Um, after an agonizing 14 minutes and 30 seconds, we <laughs> finally get that sweet, sweet combination of, like, NWO runs in to distract the ref, ref takes the bait. WCW refs are the dumbest refs in existence, and that's saying quite a lot. Yeah, WCW Very became the, uh, the the dusty Finnish company, Ooh. to Boy, say the least. Kidding. So, you know, one ref gets distracted, bad guy comes in, clobbers Jay Leno in the beanbag, the ref turns back around, gets distracted by somebody else, a good guy runs in, takes out Hulk Hogan, hits Eric Bischoff in the beanbag, Jay Leno rolls him up, <laughs> 
for the win. Jay Leno gets the win in the main Woo! event of just a, a really back-heavy pay-per-view. Yeah. But an absolutely bananas pay-per-view. I kind of salute them for going for it. Again, because like I said, on paper, that Goldberg Battle Royal is a great idea. And it is a pretty satisfying moment. Yeah. But it kind of torpedoed the entire card. And now I have another, I have another soundbite from the good people at 411 Mania who summed up all of these shows for me very well. But for this one, this is, remember, this is 1998. This is like the height of the Attitude Era. And they have the hottest star in wrestling on the card, and they burn him in an eight-minute battle royal. That isn't even the main event of their own show. And the guy reviewing this says, I think they missed the point of their direction. Goldberg was world champion, but the focus remained on Hogan, who the crowd had grown tired of seeing. Now, that's pretty typical, like, you know, that that's kind of WWE narrative stuff, yeah. right? Like, that's kind of, if you're listening to this podcast, most likely you kind of know that's how the story goes. This is where we get to the fun part. And I quote, the undercard had some real horrors on it. Two matches sunk <laughs> well into the negative stars. Uh, Jericho is good. Everything else is just bad. Four matches are real shockers. The poor level of professionalism just isn't acceptable. This is the cherry on top. It is shocking that Jay Leno's match isn't the worst on the card by a long shot. (laughs) Yeah. This is the point where, again, it's not like, you know, you, you looked at that list and you recognized a couple more people than I did. Like, this isn't, Part of this is just my bias as someone who doesn't know mid-90s wrestling that well. But part of it is just the talent is not trying. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're not. This is like, again, like Kevin Nash said, most of them don't want to be there. The crowd is tepid at best. They're going to run it about a 2 out of 10. That, that's the quote that I kept thinking of, just watching these matches and reading the write-ups on them. Like, even in the, in the co-main event, the Battle Royal, they're just like, no, I'm just, no. <laughs> nobody is nobody is really going out there and giving it their all at this pay-per-view anymore. And the reviews are showing, like the buy rates are low. People didn't really tune in to see Jay Leno. And when you're not selling live tickets, I know that's not your business model, but like you better be bringing in some pay-per-view numbers at least. Again, that isn't your business model. You're a TV show first and foremost. But when nobody's paying to see it live and nobody's paying to see it on pay-per-view – it becomes really hard to justify a show. So surely, true. surely, Mark, now, after two really ugly years, we're just going to pack this thing up and yeah. not have it we, again, we've, right? we've learned the lesson, and, and we'll yeah. move on. Absolutely. So, um, oh, no, wait. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're bringing it back, baby. One more year. We're WCW. Nothing can stop us. We're doing it again. Four times the charm. And we're coming back around to Sturgis, good old Sturgis, for 1999 Road Wild. Now, the first thing I want to point out about this show is the poster. This is not something we talk about a lot on this show, but Mark, I need you to <laughs> no, use this poster. I am. Um, as... I know. I don't, I don't. Are you looking at it? Yeah. Okay, don't describe it, because I've, I've put some thought into this. So <laughs> you have it. to use this in our promo images for this episode, because this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this is, again... <sighs> okay. The we more I about look at it, the funnier it gets. Yep, yep. So imagine <laughs> all of the posters for this show so far 
have been like sort of you know like there was typical, one where it's like t- kind of typical wrestling posters for the most part, right? And it's this weird kind of like mid nineties where like they don't know if it's going to be like an old school wrestling poster. So like the first one, there's like a bike and Hulk Hogan like superimposed in front of it, kind of like old eighties style. And then there's a couple where it's just like point of view on a bike. And for this one, the the poster for the pay per view, you're picture this like you're on a bike. Also, on a also, somewhere. hang on. I want to talk yeah. about because I I love the first poster for this show too because okay, it's just okay. Hogan sitting on the bike. But you'll notice it's Hogan fully yellow and red Hulk Hogan yeah. Hulkamania Hogan, and the reason is because of the pay because it like the pay per view model they had to have the like posters out like they had to have them done early months right? like four or five months early. And so yeah, clearly sense. they weren't going to spoil the Hogan turn. Yeah, so that is why this poster. But it's funny looking at it, <laughs> knowing that this is NWO. Right. <laughs> it just always makes me laugh. Anyway, sorry. Right. But that, that's no, no, not no, what we're great. talking about. No, so we're now, we're now four years removed. And I just want to – I hope you haven't looked it up yet. Just paint this picture in your mind before you look up the poster for this 1999 show. It's a it's a flat highway stretched out for miles ahead of you. You're sitting on your, you know, trusted Harley Davidson with the handlebars right in front of you. And peeking over the horizon, like the rising sun, is Goldberg's giant head just screaming. I don't know, like if if any of you have seen the Rick and Morty Mark, have you seen the episode of no, Rick and Morty? No, I haven't. Where they go they go on the run, and they, they hide on this alien world, and they're like, oh, this is really nice. This will do nicely. And they say, oh, look, everyone, the sun's coming up. And the sun rises over the horizon, and it's just screaming. It's got a little cartoon face on it, and it's just screaming like it got stabbed. Ah! That's what this looks like. It's just a giant Goldberg menacing over the horizon and doing that, you know, that, that thing he does, the face he makes when he comes down to the ring. And the pyro goes off and he kicks. It's like that, but it's just gigantic and looming over the horizon. It's the most 1999 thing in the world. And the tagline is what really brings it home. The tagline says, it's going to take more than attitude to ride out of here. <laughs> like, take that, WWE. Shots fired. You're calling yourself the Attitude Era company, but we're just going to take more than that to make it out of Sturgis, South Dakota <laughs> in one piece. This is where the real wrestling is. I just so. love this po. I love this picture because, one, literally, like, it's, if you guys haven't looked it up, it's like half of Goldberg's head. Like, imagine it cuts off right at the mouth. And then the top <laughs> of the mouth is literally like a tunnel you'd be driving into. <laughs> And and it's out of focus, which just makes right. it even better. And fuzzy. Oh, oh this is so, and it's and it's a sunset too. So it's oh, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's perfect. You can't stop looking at it. It's really a marvel. It was it was my favorite thing about this episode. This is one of the best things I've seen as far as wrestling promotion wise. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. But, it's really we've talked about this a few times in the past. I want WWE to make this a T-shirt. <laughs> Absolutely, this is 1999 WCW at its most. 1999 WCW, like if in 1996 they were riding high and the NWO was hot and they were winning the Monday Night Wars, 
they're they're circling the drain at this point. They wouldn't go out of existence for a little over a year, but they're not putting out a good, coherent product, right? This is the year of Arquette. This is the year not quite. that every... Well, right, but, we're, you know, we're there. This is the year that everyone has realized that the promotion's pretty much jumped the shark. Arquette is looming in the distance, you yeah. know, like a skinny little specter. March and 2000. This is the show where the cracks really start to show. So we talked about the poster. The card should give you a pretty good idea of what we're in for. The opening match is uh, Rey Mysterio, Billy good, Kidman, good. and Eddie Guerrero. Good. That's a, that's, line, that is right? a fantastic team right there. Right? And they're going up against the juggernaut. That is Vampiro. Which, and wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's good, yep. too. Vampiro, yeah. another good one. But uh, sure. continue. And, um... And the insane clown pop. There it is. You know that legendary wrestling duo. <laughs> the insane clown pop. And there it goes. The Juggalo Boys. We went Ooh. from a solid-looking match downhill Ooh. quick. Went downhill quick, didn't we? And here's the thing. like To, to their credit, a little bit, they were kind of proto-Arquette in the sense that they had a little bit of wrestling training. Uh, they're they're big wrestling like, fans, so I'll yeah. give them that. Right, they were trying not to make a mockery of this whole right, thing. Right, right. Oh man, it got twelve minutes. That was how you <laughs> opened the show. Uh, With a six-man tag featuring the insane clown posse. Also, this is a little bit of a sidebar, and it's far from the weirdest thing in this episode. Rey Mysterio was wrestling unmasked at this point, and right. it just feels wrong. It feels like he's naked watching him. To me, though, the the problem is Rey Mysterio, some of his best work was during this stretch when he was unmasked. I mean, it was good stuff until, like, the... I mean, because his whole... He became... They did a whole uh, giant killer gimmick with him, which was awesome. And he was pinning Scott Norton. He was pinning Kevin Nash. I mean, he was beating all these massive people, and it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from his work. I'm just saying when you look at him and he comes out to the ring, you're like, this is wrong. Like, I feel like yeah. I should be watching this. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's a little yeah, it's a little off-putting, yeah. It's a little more surreal, but again, that might just be because he's going up against the insane clown posse in broad daylight <laughs> in a wrestling ring in a trailer park, you know? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> there's many, there's many different so, facets. Right. So that, that, that's the opening match. And again, I didn't write them all down. You can correct me if you see anyone else jump off. But like, you have Harlem Heat, who had just reformed, and they win the tag titles. And that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Chris Benoit fights DDP for the U.S. title. That's, 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 a, that's solid. On paper, really solid match. Yeah. You got Sting versus Sid Vicious, who yeah. I cannot believe has not showed up until now. That's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Yeah. Uh, I love you, Sid Vicious. He, he's he's kind he's got to be number two on our patron saint list. He is, or, or he is. Scott he Steiner? Is. is it Vicious or Scott Steiner? Uh, to me, it's Sid Vicious, <laughs> and I love Scott. We've Steiner. talked he's, more he's, about Sid Vicious, I think, than we have Scott Steiner. I have way more respect for Sid Vicious than I did when we started doing this show, and it is because of stuff I've discovered <laughs> during this show. That's absolutely true. I'll do a tribute to him sometime if we do like a Christmas grab bag episode with our movie review or something. But yeah. Anyway, so he's he's fighting Sting, and it's you know it's just some sort of grudge match, and that's fine. And then you have um you have Goldberg versus Rick Steiner, and now we're getting into the point where this is the reason this show specifically got its own entry in the historically significant disasters of wrestling column, <laughs> and it's 
it, it's, it's really not for one big thing. And you should all go read that article. It's a good series, and it does a pretty good job summing up this particular show. But you know how we, at, the, at the very beginning we're kind of breaking down what this show is and how it's, it's this pilgrimage. It's a motorcycle festival in the middle of nowhere, and the whole point is that you get to, you know, ride your bikes through the middle of nowhere, and it's this great, like, kind of Woodstock, Coachella experience, right? Um, Goldberg and Rick Steiner got lost. <laughs> they, they got so lost that for a brief moment, management literally thought they might have been killed. <laughs> because they were like, we've done this show four years in a row. This is the only thing here. Right, right. Goldberg has been here for three years. Surely he knows how to get here. You go towards not. the group of people. I, I don't know if it was the bike ride oh, from... Oh, my gosh. Maybe, maybe they stayed in a different Best Western in Custer, Wyoming. I don't know what to tell you. All I know is Goldberg and Rick Steiner literally barely made it to this match. So I don't care. Nothing nothing of any significance happened in their match. It was like seven minutes long. I don't care. All that matters is they almost missed the wrestling show because they got lost on their motorcycle. Um, and for, for those of you that don't understand the really kind of the, the geography of up here, um. It, it is different over there. There's it's it's kind of near the the Black Hills, and there's kind of still some mountainous area a little bit. But South Dakota is like think of okay, South Dakota is for all the flat earthers out there. Um, <laughs> if you believe in that, come out to South Dakota, and you can believe all you want because that that's what it basically looks like. There's no hills. There's no mountains. There's no valleys. There's just flat. And that's pretty much what it is, um, at least for most of the state. The point is, you should be able to see Sturgis for, like, miles away at this point. <laughs> like, when I drive, because uh, working out here, I, I do I do high school football and basketball and stuff like that. You know, you drive into the town, and half the time the football fields are not next to the high schools. And so you have to find them. Because there's no address for them or anything. You just drive <laughs> until you see the big light poles. And then that's where it is. It's nearly impossible to get lost anywhere around here. That's amazing. That's, that's well, the, the point other, I'm making. The other thing I thought about is, I think we've talked about this off the air in the past. That you were When you first moved out there, Mark was telling me, he was like, yeah, rent is more expensive here than I thought it would be. It's way more expensive than it was back in Athens. Because there's nowhere to go. Right. There's like four cities. So it's like, oh, well, you have to pay this much because there's only four apartment complexes here because there's Seriously. nothing else for 200 miles. No, like in the city of Aberdeen, we are in the middle of nowhere, literally. Like it is three hours north to Fargo, which is the closest big city up north in North Dakota. It's three right. hours south to Sioux Falls, which is the biggest city in South Dakota. It's five hours west out to Rapid City, which is the other biggest city in South Dakota, and then five hours east to Minneapolis, which is the biggest city that way. And then there's Aberdeen. And then yep. th there's a bunch of just, you know, towns that have 200 to 2,000 people in them all around. 
there's no apartments in these towns. Like, it's Aberdeen or nothing. Right. And so they can do whatever they want. Like, just, I I feel like navigating South Dakota should be as simple as... There's like two roads. You take one that goes east-west and and one that takes north and and south. And you go for three hours. Right, (laughs) exactly. Yes, that's it. Setting aside the fact that, once again, Goldberg has been at this (laughs) pay-per-view. He's been there. Multiple times. Yeah. So, look, I don't know how they managed to do that. That was just the fact. This is the point we've reached. Not only that, a couple people wrecked their bikes, like, going out there. But they weren't, like, it was like, it was like Dustin Rhodes and he wasn't on the card, so they said, ah, it's fine. Yeah. But Goldberg, where's Goldberg? We all- <laughs> I just, I would pay money to be in the room where they had the conversation. Uh, is Goldberg dead? <laughs> and if so, then what do we do? Like oh. that, I would have. I would have enjoyed being a fly on that wall. But at any rate, they have a very mediocre seven-minute match. But, like, this, this is the point that we're at now in this show. This is how crazy WCW is. This is how low morale is, right? Like, right. Buff Bagwell is in a match at this show. And it, it doesn't matter what happened. The results of the match do not matter. What the storyline is does not matter. What does, what does matter is that in planning out the match, Buff Bagwell and his opponent, a guy named Ernest Miller. Yeah, the cat. Who I've, I've straight up never heard of, so you probably know more about him than I do. Yeah. They had a 10-minute mid-card match, and they got in a literal fight backstage because they couldn't decide <laughs> how it would end. This is the point that we're at now. It, like, There's nothing sadder in the world. Then I feel like Buff Bagwell getting in a fight backstage, over which how has one of happened a few times. Because we talked about matter. that back like, in like episode five or episode yeah, six of our uh, like we talk about some real fights. Yeah, yeah, that's a good episode. But like, just think about this. I, I think about it in terms of college football, right? Because this is what I understand. Like in Alabama, right next to where I live here in Georgia, you have the Iron Bowl, and it's Auburn and it's Alabama, and it's this great in-state rivalry there's different cultures at the two schools there's a lot of animosity and it's almost always like for the sec west title there are huge national implications in this game almost every year now that's been a little bit different recently but for the most part there's always big stakes in this rivalry if you go a little bit further left you get to mississippi and the egg bowl you have the iron bowl and the egg bowl and the Egg Bowl has all of the in-state animosity and the differences in culture and the, you know, you're dumb and we're smart or you're smart and we're <laughs> ordinary and we hate you. It's got all of that hatred and none of the stakes. And, pretty and it's much, one yeah. of the funniest, saddest things in the world because it's like nothing that happens in this game matters. Although, no, they, they, but it has mattered a couple times. There was a couple of years ago when Ole Miss right, right, right. was running, riding high, but generally, uh, in generally right. – yeah, generally no. If you can if you can point to the one year when it matters, that gives you a pretty good idea about the rest of the rivalry. Yeah. And they're like, you know, they'll go get into fights and they're both six and six and they just hate each other that much and it's great to watch, but it's also like, man, you don't have to do this. You're you're both the same. And that's how I feel when I read about Buff Bagwell getting into a fight with somebody backstage. I'm like, man, you don't have to do this. You're just Buff Bagwell. Anyway, that happened on this show and this is this is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with in the mid card at this point in the late 90s WCW but we we get to this last co-main event which 
I do not have the time to go into, and I will tell you why. It's because when I was researching this episode, I realized that this was the point where we were either going to go for three hours or this was going to be its own episode. <laughs> so I am telling you right now, this is a teaser, and I will come back to it at some point in the future. Ooh, because all right. the co-main event of Road Wild 1999 is Macho Man Randy Savage versus Dennis Rodman. Woo! There are some great quotes that I have from the commentary team. <laughs> um, one of them describes this as one of the most explosive matchups you will find on any pay-per-view. Sounds like Tony Schiavone. Oh, yeah. So just yeah, compare that in your mind to some of the matchups that you could have seen in WWE at this time. <laughs> just, you don't have to say them. Just, just think to yourself at home. Just think about some of the other matches you could have seen. Um, here's another great quote. Uh, D- Dennis Rodman has been fighting all his life, but tonight he has the chance to step off the basketball court and onto the most dangerous of all battlefields. That's a direct quote. Uh, have you okay. heard of like? Have you heard of the Battle of the Bulge, perhaps, or <laughs> the Battle of Antietam? No, 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 no. You don't understand. This is Sturgis, South Dakota. Oh yeah against an ancient and roided out of his mind macho man randy savage so in that sense they're actually kind of on to something <laughs> I'm, I'm not super familiar with randy savage's character at this point but it kind of just seems like bone saw like, randy I don't savage's think character anymore. changed pretty mm-hmm. not not a ton it was pretty much always randy savage that's fair well anyway i don't mean to cut myself off because i promise i will come back to this because it's too salacious i just i include this episode, we, we there's a whole episode worth of Dennis Rodman material just in general. That's probably true. That's probably true, actually. But I mean, anyway, at this point, I, he's been involved in WCW for like three years. Yeah, yeah. No, they had some weird celebrity crossover. Believe it or not, Insane Clown Posse, probably the most competent celebrity crossover <laughs> on this <laughs> Probably. Well, anyway, you know, I can't get into the bloody details of the build to this match, the execution of it, because th- there's too much of it, and I can't do it all justice. But this, I, I want to leave you with this closing image just to kind of reinforce what Road Wild is as a whole, right? They battle up the ramp, and Randy Savage, they get to the top of the ramp, and it's like there's barely even a curtain, and then they're backstage. But they're not backstage at an <laughs> arena because, once again, there's this no is arena. a parking lot. The ramp goes straight up, and there's a stage, and like, you know, the pyro and stuff and then it goes back down. It's a hill. So they go back down the hill, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it's a parking lot, and there's just kind of people milling about. And, oh, here's some cardboard boxes off to the side of the ramp, and they're not just like the prop stuff that you see in a WWE show. They were literally just there. And you can see, <laughs> like, storage containers, which it turns out is where people are changing. And you can see a porta potty And Macho Man literally throws a man out of the porta potty I'd like to hope it wasn't a plant. I really hope it was just a guy. Throws Dennis yeah. Rodman in the porta potty and tips it over. That's amazing. And I don't know if you remember, uh, most recently I think of Kevin Owens getting thrown in a porta potty and he, he comes out and he's covered in, you know, like the blue hygienic liquid or whatever. Like it's clearly not a used porta potty. <laughs> right. This looks a lot like a used porta potty. <laughs> I'm not saying we weren't being worked. But I am saying nothing about this show makes me think that anyone was willing to put the time and the effort into working us over poop. 
right. on this pay-per-view. And if they were, then they were working us with poop on this pay-per-view. And I don't know what more I can say about that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it Mach- any better. Macho Man goes on to win the match. It doesn't matter. And guess what? Guess what main events? Say it with me one more time, kids. It's Hulk Hogan in a match for the WCW Championship. He's fighting Kevin Nash in a retirement match. It doesn't matter. He wins the title, of course. And mercifully, this marks the final end of the (laughs) final edition of Road Wild. So just to recap really quickly, because I know we've gone pretty long and there was a lot we covered. True. In this dumpster fire of a pay-per-view from 1996 to 1999, Hulk Hogan main evented the show four times. All four times. He was fighting for the World Heavyweight title in three of those. And in the fourth one, where he was not fighting for the title, he was in a tag match, and his partner took the pinfall. And I just think this is a really beautiful way to wrap up the WCW run. And if you don't have time to watch like the extent of WCW in the late 90s, or you don't want to watch another WWE documentary where they're just kind of preaching to you the whole time about it, you can watch it play out in real time right here. And you can go from the first show where Hulk Hogan was hot off the heel turn and the NWO was a really big deal and it was a solid and like energetic undercard. And you can just skip forward four years to Goldberg looming over the horizon like the rising sun. <laughs> and Hulk Hogan is in the main event again and nobody cares. And the NWO is doing some stupid Civil War angle that nobody cares about. And finally, mercifully, somebody at management looks at this stupid pay-per-view where they aren't selling any, any pay-per-view buys anymore because they're terrible. And they still aren't making any ticket sales because they never have. And somebody mercifully finally says, we have to let this thing die. <laughs> and they scrap it. And it's really, it, it's just an incredible run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this one last quote from the fine people at 411 Mania who literally watched all of these shows from start to finish, so they did a better job than I did. Most of the work here is just bad to average, and the booking is ass. And I feel like that's just, that sums it all up. That's the story of what this show was by the end, and it mirrored WCW's decline just so well. And I had a really good time going through all of it. But the reason this ended up in, um, in the historically significant disasters of wrestling column, which again is great, you should all go check that out, is because this marked the show where not only was Goldberg getting in, you know, lost, Buff Bagwell's getting into <laughs> fights backstage, but this is the show where Macho Man finally snapped. And he found himself throwing Dennis Rodman in a porta potty while Hulk Hogan was fighting for the title and winning it again in the main event again. And he snapped, and he got into a fight with Hogan backstage. He walked out of the company. He no-showed for several months. And this is really like the the legacy of this pay-per-view, and this guy goes on to talk about this in the article. This is when the House of Cards really started to come crashing down. And he and Hulk Hogan aren't on speaking terms anymore, and he's not showing up. And Eric Bischoff finally feels the pressure from Turner management, basically. And he doesn't chew out Hulk Hogan for stealing the spotlight every year. And he doesn't chew out Goldberg, you know, for not taking it seriously and getting lost and almost screwing up that part of the show. <laughs> he chews out, like, the undercard. He chews out Rey Mysterio for not putting on as good of a match and being unprofessional. And it's just, 
it was one more indication that like the lunatics were running the asylum and they didn't know what they were doing. And however well-intentioned this crossover might have been with the Sturgis motorcycle rally, it wasn't holding a candle to the WWE and what they were doing anymore. It was done. And it's pretty surreal to watch that all play out in real time, I gotta tell you. Like, over the course of just four shows, four years apart. Yeah. But that's pretty much it. That is the not-really-rise, just sort of existence and gradual decline of the Road Wild pay-per-views. R.I.P., uh, you don't see many people calling for this gimmick to be brought back, and I'm okay with no. That. Yeah, this is this <laughs> is not one of the. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, I don't, I don't, I don't expect us to see this anytime in the near future. No. That's all I got. Well, that was very insightful, Harris. Because pretty thorough. I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I don't I didn't know a lot of the background between um a, a lot of those things. So that was uh that was nice to see. It was nice to hear. And you're right. It, it it does paint a good picture of kind of the trajectory of WCW kind of during these years at the same time. So that was definitely mm-hmm. a good point. Good point to yeah. be made as um as well for sure. So uh yeah, it it wasn't um not the most memorable thing, except for this poster for Road Wild 1999. That really, that really, <laughs> that that's gonna stick with me forever. Thing. Everything else is it is. It's just a mixture of mediocre to really bad work and just stupid, questionable booking decisions. My new goal in life is to get a shirt made with this, uh, with this poster on it, and then give it to Goldberg and get a picture with him wearing it. I was going to say, a picture of you wearing it with him would also be pretty funny. It would. Oh, man. It's a great poster to hang in your room, you know, like above your bed. Mm -hmm. It it really really is. Freak out people who visit. There's a lot going on. But you're right. I mean, that's kind of the legacy. It's it's not that spectacular. It's just pretty dumb and bad. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it never, it never, uh, not not a whole lot of monumental things happen on uh, Road mm-hmm. Wild um, in, in mm-hmm. WCW. W, WCW definitely definitely had finer moments. That is, uh, <laughs> that that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, so that does it for there. So um, the only thing we have left is um, David Arquette, our weekly uh, David Arquette segment. I didn't get a chance to watch Eight Leg Freaks this week. I didn't have time with basketball season Oh, that's starting. good. I'm glad. Because I forgot until you said David Arquette time that I hadn't done that. I knew 100% you weren't going to do it, so I didn't even bother mentioning that I wasn't going to get a chance to watch it because I knew you maybe weren't going to do it. I have that much faith in you. Um, Great. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> but so that still does need to happen. And – Maybe I I probably will have time to watch that over this uh, this Christmas break, but we'll we'll see. We'll definitely we will definitely do that though, and we will bring you guys our thoughts on that movie soon. I promise. But he was in a match over a little over a week ago, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it because I don't think it had happened yet. I think it was happening that night. Okay. And he wrestled at Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore in a uh, a tag match. Again, with RJ City against, I don't even remember who they wrestled, but he got attacked by RJ City because, you know, that's been their whole gimmick is like they're a tag team, but RJ City hates David Arquette. 
Okay. But yet they're still a tag team. <laughs> Look, whatever works. I respect and it's, that. It's hilarious. And so he attacked him afterwards. But then um, Sandman comes down and saves him. Yes, Sandman is still alive. And but then Somehow. but then Bully Ray came down and beat the crap out of David Arquette and uh power bombed him through a table. I was gonna say he hates David Arquette. That I know. Yeah. And he probably hates him even more after this power bomb. Cause it mm-hmm. uh it wasn't great. Um look, David Arquette is our favorite person in the world. But he's still green. He still has some learning. He did not take this power bomb well at all. Oh no! <laughs> he, he couldn't get up. Like you know, you have to like pull yourself up for a power bomb, and he couldn't yeah, do so it. Yeah, he just sandbagged him. Do just... it. Like he couldn't get himself oh. up, and then eventually, Bully Ray just picks him up almost like over his shoulders, and then like just drops him mm. through the table. It mm, wasn't his best rough. moment, but that's rough. Buddy. That serves Bully Ray right for laying hands on our patron Saint David. That's Arquette. right. So, uh, Look, you live and learn, right? So screw Bully when Ray. inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame next year, it'll all be worth it. Bully Ray is our new worst enemy, I'm pretty sure, on this show. So screw you, Bully Ray. You suck. And That's right. You said you were retiring we like two years ago and then didn't, so screw you even more. And we will direct several rude tweets your way. We will. And uh, then the other thing is he showed up on the Edge and Christian show. I don't know if you saw that. Uh-uh. And Is that still running? I didn't know that. No, they just they just started it back up again. Okay. Well, and so he made a little guest appearance on uh, on the Edge and Christian show. So you uh, you guys should go and check that out. They were with uh, DDP as well uh, as like world champions, and then he came and joined them because as of course he's the greatest WCW champion of all time. Right. And um. So that was pretty great too. So you guys should definitely check that out. His little cameo with that. So that that that's my uh, that's our David Arquette little news for um, for this week. So weekly update. Yeah, we you know we just want you guys to know what he's up to because it's a big deal. He is look. He is the light in the darkness that is modern wrestling. Yeah, pretty I'd much. Say that. Assume you know unless TLC just burned the house down and. CM Punk came back and won the WWE <laughs> title. And, you know, in which case, we're going to record a reactions episode tonight. Mark, I'm sorry, you're driving back to the station. We're doing it. I'm going to be late for work tomorrow. The good thing no. is that won't happen, so I won't have to worry you're right. about it. No, it'll, we, it'll be a totally serviceable pay-per-view, and everyone listening will have skipped all this part. Cause right, because they, they, they already know. Happens. Right. So uh, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening here to Behind the Gorilla. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Behind underscore Gorilla. If you really hated this episode because we went way too long and wasted all your time, then just let us know. Uh, send us send us nasty comments. That's fine. Um, or positive comments, too. Those are those are always nice as well. So Yeah, uh, let us know if you have any other crazy pay-per-views you want, to take us a look, you want us to take a look at, any other episode suggestions, anything yeah. like that. Yeah, we are definitely. always down to add more things to the list. And also, like I said, Macho Man versus Dennis Rodman. Spoiler alert: that's coming because <laughs> I really wanted to get into this feud, and I just did not have the time because I knew we were already going so long. It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. It's something to look forward to for sure. And uh, go ahead and give us a review on iTunes because we need more of them. It doesn't have to be a good one, but uh, no, you know, just, just, just 
just compare it to a match if you're going to you know give it give us a, a star rating just just compare it to a comparable match that fits with that right. star that's all we want and it's, right and it's like this one's you know this one's pretty easy i mean if you think well you know it's pretty long-winded and even though he did his research he kind of rambled a bit this podcast is like um macho man versus dennis rod it's kind of crappy just you know there you go you're done right there just yeah. Put a little bit of original thought into your criticism, and we're happy to have it. Yep, that's all. That's all we're looking for. Um, so, yeah, that'll do it for this. Also, go ahead and check out Mother Podcast, Uncaped Crusaders Review, where me and my friend Ian are going through and watching every Batman movie ever made, and we are in the Nolan movies. We just watched The Dark Knight, the greatest Batman film of all time. So go ahead and check that out. You can follow, follow us on Twitter at Uncaped Review. Also, it's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere. So, yeah, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. This has been Behind the Gorilla. Again, I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. Have a great night. Have a great night.